Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, March the 14th, 2022. It is currently 8.28 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, right here in, well, my upstairs room. Typically, I'm coming to you live from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church. I'm going to be trying to do more live broadcast from this room, so I'm going to need a a new introduction because typically I say I'm coming to you live from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, but now do I say I'm coming to you from the upstairs room of my home in Abilene, Texas, or do I just forego all of that? Having a little bit of fun, and the reason I'm trying to have a little bit of fun here is because things are about to get very, very serious. It's going to be a very intense program, so if you're not really, if that's not what you're looking for, you may want to tune out right now. This is going to be very, in some ways, depressing, discouraging, it may it may cause you to feel some emotions that are not pleasant. Maybe anger. It may be maybe it's going to make you very upset, very bothered. And in in many cases, I think those feelings are definitely called for in this situation. But sometimes we have to turn on the microphone to talk about the you know about the reality of what's happening within Christianity and within the church, even when it's not pleasant. We have to be the ones to discuss it and talk about it. Now, let me just say this. We're going to be talking about a a news story that has gained a little bit of traction. I thought possibly it was just going to be ignored. I think many will ignore it. Many will just simply deny it. But, But as people continue to try to either ignore it, deny it, or push back against it, the story seems to be gaining a little bit of momentum. Where it's going to end, I do not know. But let's just say it's not pleasant and it is horrible, but this is very important. It involves a very popular, very beloved pastor. And whenever you have a famous pastor, I I dare say a celebrity pastor, when you have one of those pastors that reach celebrity status, they're famous, they're beloved, when, when that happens... Well, you, it almost reaches a point where you can't see anything negative about them because if you do, people who love them, they will come after you. They will, they will put their, their fingers in their ears and go, no, 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 no. They're not going to listen. And then they attack, they attack, they attack, they attack. But we have to set aside our, our beloved, our, our love for the celebrity. We have to set aside our devotion to a man and care about truth, and care about things that are of great importance, even from a scriptural perspective. We, we know that all people, all human beings, all pastors, are fallible, and they are sinners, so we have to understand that there's going to be times where there is clear problems and things that they have done. I know we want to, maybe maybe if it's our favorite pastor, and they're in our minds, you know, they're the greatest thing in the world, I know it's, we almost want to perceive them as being, you know, spotless, sinless, and perfect, even though we would say, theoretically, that's not true. But as soon as any criticism is offered, we become very defensive because in some cases, I think this is very important, celebrity pastors almost become idols. 
They become idols. And sometimes people's Christian life is identified by their favorite pastor. I mean, this is not a new thing, right? I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. This was a problem in the church of Corinth, where spiritual leaders become our identity, where spiritual leaders become, it, it becomes almost like a team or a tribe. And it, it just, it, it, be, it really demonstrates a very fleshly, worldly attitude. And it, it demonstrates a form of idolatry. Everyone keeps talking about, you know, the celebrity culture and evang- evangelicalism, but no matter how much people talk about it or condemn the celebrity culture, we continue to do the very things that continues to build up the celebrity culture. I, I, I'm going to say this, and immediately I'm going to tick some people off, but if you're willing to pay hundreds of dollars or a hundred dollars or any money to get into a conference to see your favorite celebrity pastor preach the word of God, and you don't see a problem with that, well, that just demonstrates every, everything that's wrong with celebrity culture. You're literally paying money to hear someone preach God's word. So what's the product you're purchasing? The preaching of God's word? Where Since when should the preaching of God's word be a product that you purchase? Or is it the celebrity? Because obviously you could not just say, hey, we're having a, a conference tonight on you know, the infallibility of scripture and have four or five pastors who are completely unknown and sell a lot of, and, and be able to sell tickets for four or five, $300, $200, uh, you know, uh, that's not going to work. You got to have a celebrity. You got to have a celebrity. So in many cases, people are spending money for access to that celebrity to see their favorite celebrity. That's idolatry. That's fleshly. But I have to talk about this because as soon as I mention the pastor's name here in a minute, Guess what? Some people are just going to go, no, 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 wrong, 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 wrong. How about we set aside the name and let's look at the facts. Let's look at what's happened and let's deal with this. I've already dealt with this story once and I'm going to now try to advance that discussion and add some more to it. But before we do that, before I give you the name, before I I say anything, I want us to consider uh, four scriptures. All right, the first one is found, and, and if you can, write these scriptures down. If you can, look these up this evening. The first one is Psalm chapter 82. Psalm chapter 82. Psalm chapter 82, verse 3, we read these words. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Do you think that that is a biblical attitude that we should have and that biblical attitude of compassion and justice and caring for those who are poor, fatherless, and needy? Do you think that's a biblical mindset? Do you think that's a a, a biblical call of action that as believers, we should look for ways to defend the poor and the fatherless to do justice to the afflicted and needy. When someone is needy, when someone is being afflicted, that we should seek justice. We should seek care for them to the best of our ability. I I think that that would be, I think most, I would hope all Christians would say, amen. Someone's afflicted. Someone is needy. We should come to their help. We should be there to comfort. We should be there to show sympathy. I know this is also controversial, crazy, crazy in the church in 2022. We should show empathy. The church should be a place where the afflicted, the needy, could find comfort, mercy, and grace, and love. 
I, I would hope everyone could say amen to that. How about Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17? And I understand these verses have historical context. I understand that. By no means am I trying to deny that historical context. I'm just saying, are, do these reflect a biblical attitudes, biblical, a biblical way of thinking and acting? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Let's go to verse 16. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. This is Isaiah 1, 17. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Is that a, is that a biblical mindset? Another translation reads uh, uh, translates it this way: Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and please uh, and please please the widow's cause or plead the widow's cause. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. When someone is being oppressed, when someone is being misused, we should seek to correct it. We should try to bring justice and plead the widow's case. Isaiah 117. Is that, is that a biblical mindset? Would you agree that that's a biblical mindset? I, I, hopefully we could all agree on that. Hopefully. I, I would hope. But let's look at another one. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. I think everyone knows this passage. Micah chapter 6. I mean, this is still in the Bible, right? It's, it's still in the Bible. I, I, I know... I know because uh, you know sometimes because something may be misused or some or some somebody may quote it that we don't like. We we, we sometimes will almost if someone misuses a passage or quotes it in a way that we don't like, we almost just kind of forget the passage. But it's still here, Micah chapter six verse eight. Micah chapter six verse eight. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with thy God. Do justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Do you love mercy? Do you love mercy? Care about mercy? Want to show mercy? Willing to give mercy to someone who's being afflicted, to someone who's being oppressed, to someone who's being abused, to someone who is being hurt. Another translation states it this way. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Do we seek justice? Do we care about showing kindness to those who are suffering? How about Luke chapter 11? Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse 42, Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Another translation states it this way. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Look, we, we want to 
obviously we care about being theologically sound. Yes, we care. I mean, that's very important. We care about being doctrinally sound. Yes, we care about trying to pursue holiness and righteousness. Yes, but there should also be the love of God, showing love for others, loving God, caring about people, mercy and grace. There should be a desire to seek to help, to do what is right. But sometimes do we forget those kinds of attitudes and actions? This is very, very important. Now, I want you to imagine that scripture. Now, I want you to imagine the following scenario. I want you to think about this. A woman who is married and has children begins to experience physical abuse within the home. She's scared. She fears for safety. She goes to her church to seek counsel and help. She wants her husband to get some kind of professional counseling. But instead of really receiving any actual help from the church, she seems to be getting some really mixed messages, questionable messages, maybe downright just wrong messages. And she decides, I'm going to contact the authorities and I'm going to get a restraining order and I'm going to separate myself from my husband for the protection of me and my children. And she does this. But instead of the church supporting her, they basically say what she is doing is wrong and she should stay there and remove the restraining order and not be separated from her husband. And she continues to try to work through this situation and it gets worse and worse and worse. The church doesn't seem to support her. They seem to come after her. She even tries to leave the church, but they refuse to to. Let her go. They refused to, to, to move her letter, to, to let her go to another church. And she's in this abusive situation. Everything seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And then in a shocking turn of events, the church publicly shames the woman, excommunicates her while asking for prayer and mercy for the husband to demonstrate how wrong the church has gotten the situation, the woman finally, you know, basically gives information to the authorities. And guess what? The husband is arrested and is in prison this very moment as I'm speaking. He's in prison for 21 years to life. Not only was he found guilty of physical abuse, he's also found guilty of, of sexual abuse of the children. So clearly he was in the wrong, not the woman. The woman was excommunicated. The woman was publicly shamed. There is video of it. Does the church go, oh, man, we made a mistake? No, 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 no. They don't, rem they don't lift the church discipline. They don't apologize to the woman. From everything we can tell, they continue to support the man, treating him as if he's like one of their ministers in prison, like almost treating him like he's one of their ministers, like he's innocent. She, he's in prison. But he's the innocent one, and the woman is the one who's excommunicated and publicly shamed. An absolutely horrific idea. And, and I would hope that you would go, whoa, wait a minute. Something went horribly wrong there. Now, the scenario that I'm speaking of 
and I know I didn't stay perfect in the tense of speaking of it as a hypothetical, and I turned it obviously into, you, you can tell, I'm speaking about a real event. This really happened. This really happened, and it happened at Grace Community Church, which is pastored by John MacArthur. This story has been going around. We've already reported on it. And if you report on it, immediately you get pushback. And they're like, how dare you? This is not true. I don't basically, you know, the woman, basically this is what you get. It happened so long ago, it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter that a man abused children. Doesn't matter that he sexually abused children. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the woman is publicly shamed. Doesn't matter that the woman was excommunicated because it happened a long time ago. And because it happened a long time ago, it doesn't really matter. Or, well, I can't trust this or I can't trust that. Even though there is video of the woman being publicly shamed and it is of public record that the husband is in prison. But but there's just excuse after excuse after excuse is being made. Or they are attacking the ones who are reporting the story. It's a horrible situation. And we've spent a lot of time already talking about, I think over an hour discussing it. But this evening, I got a notification of a video that had been published. Continuing to talk about this story and advancing the story a little bit and giving us some additional information. And I'm going to play the audio from that video, and we're going to review it and discuss it and talk about it. The video, i got to turn down the volume here really quick. Okay. The video comes from a YouTube channel called Ruslan, R-U-S-L-A-N-K-D. That's Ruslan, capital R, U-S-L-A-N, and then the letters K-D, all capitalized. Ruslan, R, capital R, Lowercase U-S-L-A-N space capital K capital D. Ruslan K-D. I would definitely challenge you to find his channel or you can just do a church, uh, do a search for on YouTube. John MacArthur's church, discipline of mother who protected her kids. Watch the video. Look at it. I mean, you're getting ready to hear. I'm going to try to see if we can get through all of it. But I want you to at least know what's going on because this should not just be just this can't just be swept under the rug and forgotten. A woman was church disciplined. Does everyone understand the significance of church discipline? You're turning a person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. This is like church discipline is nothing to play play games with. Like, you're literally turning a person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That is serious. You're messing with someone's life. And if you realize you got it wrong, you should apologize. You can't just ignore it. You can't just say, well, it doesn't matter if it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. If you turned someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that is still relevant today. The whole story is absolutely horrifying. It doesn't demonstrate love, mercy, kindness, justice. It doesn't seem like you're caring about the oppressed. You're caring about the one who is doing the oppressing. You're, you're, you're not helping the abused. You're helping the abuser. Here is the video. We're going to break this down piece by piece. Are you ready? Here we go. 
When it comes to Christianity, there are certain people that are deemed untouchable. In a celebrity pastor world, you better not come anywhere near Stephen Furtick. If you have a slant towards the prosperity gospel, you do not attack Joel Osteen. If you're a huge fan of much of our modern worship music and the resurgence of the charismatic movement, you do not touch Bill Johnson. And if you self-identify as Reformed or Calvinist, you never, ever say anything negative about John MacArthur. But a story broke this weekend alleging gross mishandling by John MacArthur, his church, and his elders involving a family suffering from abuse at the hands of a man who was later convicted and is currently serving 21 years to life. Coming. Now let's stop right here. He starts off with making a very good point. There are pastors who reach a certain level that you can't, they're, they're, they're almost deemed untouchable. Touchable. And it just depends on which stream of theology you're in. If you're, if you're in the prosperity gospel, you don't touch Joel Osteen. If you're in the charismatic world, you don't touch Bill Johnson. If you're in the reformed charismatic or the uh, reformed Calvinistic world, you don't touch John MacArthur. You don't say anything negative about them. And they almost reach a level where they don't even have to answer for any serious accusations that are put forth. They're they're almost deemed untouchable. And that is a frightening place to be because these are serious charges that that are being made about how MacArthur's church handled church discipline. I mean, we have him on video excommunicating the woman. There's no question that she was excommunicated. There's no question the husband is in prison. Those are all facts. Cannot be argued, cannot be disputed. No, when these kinds of charges are made, why would you not answer? Why do you, why would you, people in your church not hold you accountable? Because you can reach a certain level of celebrity where you're just, that's okay. You don't have to answer it. The average pastor in an average church, if these kind of accusations were made, they would have to deal with it. They would have to address it probably as early as the very next church service. They would probably end up possibly fired within a week or two. But no, 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 no. You can reach a certain level and nobody can touch you. Nobody can call you into question. You're just, you're untouchable. And that's a scary place to be when you become untouchable. Now, I know I'm not here saying, I'm not going to sit here and make any statements of what should or shouldn't happen. But I can say this. Well, I will say this. I'm not going to say what should or shouldn't happen to the people involved in this horrible story. What I will say is that there needs to be accountability and there needs to be answers and there needs to be someone letting know what exactly happened. At the very least, this, it's, it's, this is a crazy situation, but, but it's just, again, celebrity. Celebrity pastors, it equals power. It equals position. It equals almost an untouchable status because Christianity is very tribal in nature. If, if MacArthur's on your team, well, then you don't, nobody can, anyone who comes after MacArthur, you immediately defend. I look, I know this from my own personal experience when I preached some sermons, a sermon against uh, some things John Piper had said, and I preached a sermon against MacArthur's teaching of incar- incar- incarnational sonship, uh, which he, he later, he re- recanted and repented of, uh, he, he gave that up. But uh, when I pointed some of these things out, people got mad at me. Because you can't go out. They're almost like they're almost like the infallible popes of their stream of theology. Because they're celebrity. 
because they have Bibles with their names on it. People pay four or $500 to get into conferences to hear them speak. That It creates a celebrity culture, and a celebrity culture makes them untouchable. Remember when the accusations were going out about Ravi Zacharias? It was the same thing. How dare you? How dare you? This is not true. This is not true. And then finally, boom, it all came out, and it was horrible. There has to be some answers. There has to be at least some answers. But nobody wants to touch it. Nobody wants to get near it because it's very tribal. But let's see where they go with this. We're going to dive deep into this entire story, including an exclusive interview with the investigative journalist that broke this story. Insight from a social worker and more. Bruce Lawn. Abuse in the church, the overlap of divorce, church discipline. This is by far one of the most complicated uh, discussions to have many times today, and it could get really messy depending on where you are on this whole situation. So here are some of the facts that we know about this specific situation. David Gray was on staff at Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church, from 1994 to 2001. Eileen Gray his wife, finds out that he had been abusing one of their children on May 10th. Uh, June 1st, she files an order of protection against David Gray. He's still on staff at the church, as far as we know at this point. Trying to figure out how to navigate the situation, she doesn't feel safe in the home with David Gray. She is desiring some sort of reconciliation, to the best of our knowledge. And then she finally is fed up and decides that she needs to take this to the elders of her church in June of 2001. So this is about a six-week window between all of this. And what happens next is is pretty interesting. I got to sit down for an exclusive interview with the investigative journalist that broke this entire story. Check out Julie Roy's timeline of events that she got directly from Eileen Gray. And so she comes to Grace Community Church and she wants help. She's like, my husband's abusing me. She said, he's abusing my children. Can you help me? Bill Shannon is the head of biblical counseling. According to her, he tells her. Now, before we continue, that little clicking sound At times, they're showing documentation on the screen proving or giving evidence of some of the claims being made or showing pictures of the people that are being spoken of, all right? So Eileen Gray, she's going through all of this, and now she's seeking help, and this is where things get crazy. I'm going to back it up just a few seconds. I'm going to back this up just a few seconds, maybe a, a few more Now, a lot of people are attacking Julie Roy's because they don't like her. They don't like her. They think she's, you know, she has an agenda. Look, you can hate the messenger. You can despise the messenger. You may think the messenger has an agenda. Stop worrying. Before you start attacking the messenger, how about you start determining what is true and what happened? Because you're dealing with a woman. There was abuse. There was a a child abused. That's what you should be more concerned about, not your your grievance with the, the reporter who broke the story. You may despise the reporter, but where's your compassion for a woman who was in an abusive situation? That's where your first concern could be. Was the woman, was there real abuse in the home? Was a child abused? It, the husband was found guilty of it. So the the all the evidence would point to the fact that abuse was really happening. Why is it that people are not more upset about the abuse in the home than they are about the name of the reporter who broke the story or the timing of the story being broken and 
connection with uh, the Shepherds Conference at John MacArthur's church. Like, I, it's like, what has happened? We don't care about people. We don't care about people who've been abused. We don't care about justice. We don't care about the oppressed. We don't care about the abused. That's what bothers me so much about the reactions here. But let, let's go back through this. Here we go. Children, can you help me? Bill Shannon is the head of biblical counseling. According to her, he tells her she shouldn't have gone to authorities. She shouldn't have gotten this legal protection order. He quotes First Corinthians 7 saying she's not supposed to separate from her, from her husband. Now let's stop right here. <laughs> it is absolutely insane, if true, that she was told that you, you should not have gotten a protective order, a restraining order. You should not have got a... There's an abuse going on and you're being told by your church that you should not have got a restraining order and then quote 1 Corinthians 7. Now, let me make it very clear. I, I think right now the wrong thing to do is to get into a big theological dispute about divorce and when someone can get a divorce or can't get a divorce. To me, if we get into a big theological hermeneutical dispute over divorce and what is proper and what is not proper, that takes away from the reality of suffering, pain, and abuse that occurred. That that just becomes almost like we're going to distract everyone from the real issue. So here's here's what I would say. Whatever your view is on divorce— whether you believe it's ever allowed or it's allowed, whether you believe it's never allowed or you believe it's allowed for certain situations, everyone should be able to agree. If a woman is being abused and there's abuse in the home, she has every right to separate from that and get a protective restraining order in order to protect her and her children. She has a right to be protected and that the church should do everything in their power to protect her and the the kids. Those are facts. You should never be counseled. You shouldn't have went to the, the authorities. Why not? That gives legal protection. That gives legal protection. So I, I that, that even if you don't believe divorce is allowed, separating for protection, I, I don't see how you could say that wouldn't be allowed. No matter how strict you believe that there is no grounds for divorce, there has to be grounds for getting out of the house if you're being beat or your child is being beat. So this extreme view, it seems, of, again, according to her testimony, you can't separate from your husband for any reason. Did Eileen Gray really have no grounds for separating and divorcing from her husband? Stick to the end because we're going to talk about it. But then a couple of days later, she comes to church and then they have a meeting with uh, David Gray. It's then that the church says, okay, we're, we're going to provide a family for you in a place, Eileen, where you can stay till this uh, protection, order of protection goes, goes into effect. But according to Eileen, part of the, the deal was, but you'll have to submit to biblical counseling with your husband. She wanted him to get professional help. That's what she wanted. But what they provided was biblical counseling with Harry Hardy. He's not a professional counselor. Eileen recorded these sessions. Okay. Now this is where it gets crazy. She's not wanting necessarily biblical counseling. She's wanting professional counseling. Now there's going to be some who say, well, that's wrong. She should have wanted biblical counseling. You, you can have disagreement at this point, but the thing is, if she's being abused, then whatever you may disagree with her on her view of wanting professional counseling, you have to at least acknowledge, wait a minute, the church 
has to be on her side as much as possible if she, there is physical abuse. But she supposedly has recordings of these so, so-called biblical counseling sessions, which would and which would tell me if she does have these recordings that she did go to the biblical counseling sessions. And listen to what she was told. This is absolutely crazy. I'm backing this up just a little bit so that it'll flow right into this. Listen to what she supposedly was told during biblical counseling. Here we go. What they provided was biblical counseling with Terry Hardy. He's not a professional counselor. Eileen recorded these sessions. Carrie Hardy in these sessions was telling her that she should submit to abuse uh, by her husband and that she would model for the children how to suffer for Jesus. By Okay, I want you to hear that. She was told she should submit to abuse from her husband to show her kids suffering for Jesus. Now, if that is true, that is insane. That is crazy. That is ungodly. That is horrifying. That is that, that, that every person should just, everything in you should rise up and go, what in the world was going on? I am hoping that is just absolutely not. I'm hoping that that is not true. I'm hoping that that can either be verified. It can be verified one way or the other as true or untrue. But if she has recordings and if these recordings come out, I mean, that will be it. That will end up on national news. If the, if these recordings actually exist and they come out, oh boy, oh boy. That's going to make the church look absolutely insane. That is not going to be good for anything, anybody. That's not going to be good for anyone. All right, so let's continue. Submitting to his abuse. Eileen refused, and these letters, she got a total of five letters from Grace Community Church telling her that she needed to drop the order of protection, allow her husband to come back into the home. That's what God wants. That was, that's what Scripture says. That's her duty as a wife. That's her duty as a mother. And the best thing for her children is for her to allow David back. And she was like, no. And that was like the final straw. I want you to hear that. Five letters. Those little clicking sounds, are they showing the actual letters on the screen? Five letters from the church saying, you need to drop the restraining order and you need to let your your abusive husband back into the home. That's what God wants. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. What about what God would want him to do? Isn't he supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church? Is he not supposed to provoke his children to wrath? I mean, are you telling me that an abusive man should be brought back in and nothing should be done? Like they're, they're, they're telling, they're, they're focusing on what she should do, nothing about what he should do, at least according to what we are hearing. Five letters to her, five letters going after her. This, this is just hard to even wrap my mind around. It really is. Let's continue. Where she was, I will not subject my children to the abuse of my husband. I want my husband to get professional counseling. And GCC, Grace Community Church, said no. That kind of counseling is worldly. It's wrong. John MacArthur and Grace Community Church's complete disregard for professional therapy and counseling is not a one-time event. Check out what my friend Matt Mateus, who's a social worker and actually lines up with John MacArthur's theology, had to say about this. It's pressured in his congregation 
to not go to therapy or not um, take any SSRIs for their uh, mental health issues. There's a gentleman who approached their leadership about this specific issue and actually ended up taking his life because of it. Uh, you know, being a social worker and hearing the, the just their prejudice of the you know therapeutic world and how they have so much disdain for just modern medicine and things like that, I find that to be completely unbiblical. If you- now let's stop right here. This could be another side issue. You may agree with MacArthur's position against quote unquote worldly counseling. You you may completely agree with that. So let's set that aside. All right. Let's set aside quote unquote worldly counseling, professional help. All right. In in the most I, I in the most biblical way possible, you can't tell me that your counsel would be biblical counsel would be, hey, you bring the abuser back in the home, you drop the restraining order and you submit to him. That cannot be the most biblical advice one can come up with. That cannot be. So even if you reject the, the professional counsel, you've, there's got to be more to biblical counsel than basically, woman, you be quiet, you submit, and you let the abuser back in the home. That, that, can't, that can't be. And clearly, once he's found guilty of going beyond just physical abuse but sexual abuse and he goes to prison, at that point, you had to realize our counsel was wrong and you apologize. But they're, they're going to continue to go after the woman and, well, she's going to get publicly shamed and excommunicated. This is how crazy the story gets. Let's continue. You don't believe in the effectiveness of therapy and SSRIs then these things will happen. I've been a social worker for almost a decade and I've seen people need these things and actually have complete life-altering balancing in their life because of SSRIs and therapy. Because they've taken this stance, um, I think this situation is only one of many that have already come out of the church. Grace Community Church is a massive church. I believe over 8,000 members. And we don't know how hands-on John MacArthur was with any of this stuff. This is being passed on to their biblical counseling department, and they're trying to deal with it. They're trying to do the best uh, with, with the information that we have. But what we do know... Now let me stop right here. A lot of people have made this argument. Well, we don't know what MacArthur knew or didn't know. We don't know what he was doing, but we do know this. He's the one who excommunicates her from the pulpit. He's the one who publicly shames her from the pulpit. If you're the one doing the excommunicating, if you're the one doing the public shaming, if you're the one turning her over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, you have to be intimately knowledgeable of what is going on, and you should have met with her and the husband, and you should have done everything you can to figure out what was going on. So that makes then John McCarr, and he's the pastor of the church, that makes him absolutely responsible. He's the one who does the discipline. So a lot of people are trying to pass the buck going, well, it's that person. No, 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 no. MacArthur's the one who excommunicates. He's responsible. And there appears to be at least some reports that he never met with her. And I don't even know how in the world you can uh, excommunicate someone you never met with. Even if you say, well, other elders in the church met with her. No, you're the one excommunicating. You have to meet with her. And as soon, the second you hear abuse, the second you hear that there was abuse in the home, I think you will hold off on church discipline, right? And we find out what abuse is or isn't going on. 
And then what is the church's responsibility if there's a report of abuse? Well, what is the church's responsibility? Oh, yeah, there's laws about what a church is supposed to do. Oh, is that in these sessions, these eight biblical counseling sessions that happened in 2001, at those sessions, David Gray confessed to physically abusing the children. And the person who went to biblical counseling is a mandated reporter and did not report this sort of abuse. Now, a mandated reporter, if you've worked. Now, stop right here. The husband confesses to the abuse. Well, at that moment, the church now has legal responsibility to report said abuse, and they did not do it. So not only is this highly questionable from a biblical perspective, clearly it seems to show no compassion or empathy for the one being abused and no doing justice or protecting the one abused, they break the law. This this, is, this situation is just insane. All right, here we go. In a nonprofit, if you've worked at a church, when you find out that there's abusive children, you are absolutely mandated to report those. He did not report those findings in those counseling sessions. And so what transpires next is a very bizarre timeline. She refuses to, to reconcile in this situation. Up to this point, she was open to it. She was trying to work through it, but she wanted him to get professional help. To her asking for her membership to be transferred, to them saying no, them writing multiple. Now that's what's bizarre. She asked for her membership to be transferred, and the church denied. When when can a church deny? Hey, I want to. I'm going to move my membership to another church. We're sorry, we're not going to let you do that. How can a church refuse you to move your membership? How? how wh- where do you get that from? I'm sorry, you want to move churches? You can't. You can't. We control you. You stay here. You can check in, but you can never check out. This is where you stay. Like. That is, that is insanity. If she wanted to leave the church, just let her leave the church. But they don't let her leave. That, that, that is, this, 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 I hate to say this, this got cult-like actions all over this. Let's continue letters to her and then finally august 18th so this is over a year from the initial order of protection in june 2001 and them starting counseling doing eight sections of biblical counseling in august 18th at least one time and this is i'm gonna show you guys the video the church and john MacArthur specifically goes up and exhibits church discipline she's in the crowd during this moment the church bears responsibility before God to be the instrument of discipline. Setting her up as a person that's not willing to repent. You got to stop. This is insane. Okay, first of all, this is insane. It appears that he, that, that she's publicly shamed and I guess excommunicated two times, which is, I don't even understand that. But what's even more bizarre here, the first time, and we talked about this and I played the audio of it in our last discussion about this story. This is crazy. It was happening during the Lord's Supper. Like when, since when do you exercise church discipline while you're getting ready to pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper? That is to me insanity. That, that demonstrates, I, I mean, that is unbiblical. I, I don't even know how you could even do that. The, the, the Lord's Supper is where you're supposed to be put, placing your focus on the death of Jesus Christ, not sitting there going, okay, we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. Wait, 
Eileen Gray is being excommunicated? Eileen Gray is being publicly shamed? Who's going to be focusing on the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ? You're going to be focusing on, wait, do, do you know Eileen? Wait, is that, is that Eileen over there? She's in the church when this is happening. She's in the service. <laughs> this is something like from a, a bad movie. This is This is crazy. Let's continue. Because she doesn't want to be in the same home as her abusive husband, and the church is the instrument of God to discipline people. Church discipline is not independent of the Lord. The Lord is the head of the church. He says in Matthew 18, when you do this, when you discipline, there am I in the midst of you. It's always a sad thing to do this, but this is bringing heaven down. This is what the Lord wants. He wants discipline. One of the forms of discipline that he uses is to be put out of the church, to be publicly shamed, to be put away from the fellowship. In this case, it applies to Eileen Gray. He says her name. This is in the middle of communion, I believe. He says her name, Eileen Gray Discipline. Her husband David Eileen have been in the church for many years. Not, some, not too long ago, really, Eileen decided to leave her husband to grant no grace to him at all. No grace to him at all? Sounds like her coming to the church and looking for some sort of reconciliation with some grace. Looking to get biblical counseling and therapy with some grace. To take the children to go away to forsake him. Many, many of our pastors have been involved in this very tragic situation, which continues to throw accusations against her husband. Throw accusations against her husband. So now we have to do what the Bible says. Put her out, treat her as if she's an unbeliever, for all we know she may well be. Treat her as if she's an unbeliever, for all we know she might be. The joy of her salvation will be restored. Pray for David. For the sympathy, the compassion, and the loving kindness of God to be his portion. Let's sing Amazing Grace. And then they go into Amazing Grace. Eileen Gray transfers her membership back to her original home church over 500 miles away. She separates from her husband. She is going through with this. In the process of that, this is now we're going into 2002, 2003. She then finds out that the abuse that David was exhibiting was substantially worse than just physical. She instantly files a police report at this point back in L.A. The police arrest David Gray. There's a grueling trial. There's multiple people, multiple victims that have to testify. And David Gray, a few years later... After the public shaming, David is actually convicted of child 2A and abuse and sentenced to 21 years to life in prison. He goes to prison. She's excommunicated. She's basically public. Well, she is publicly shamed. I mean, that's MacArthur's own words. She's to be treated as an unbeliever because she very well may be. She's basically treated as if she's the unbeliever. The one who abused children and went to prison involving sexual abuse 
He's, he's viewed as the believer and he should be giving grace and mercy. But the woman, no, oh, she's the bad one. She's the ungodly one. This is like right is wrong, wrong is right, up is down, down is up. Like what kind of twisted, psychotic world is this? This would be like if someone made a movie about this, we'd be like, that doesn't really happen in Christianity. That doesn't really happen in the church. That's that's mischaracterization. You're trying to make us look bad. No, this this is played out in real time. And we've got video, audio, letters, copies of the letters. We know David Gray is in prison. We, we've got, we've got evidence after evidence after evidence to at least raise enough red flags that everyone should be like, stop, time out. That's it. Okay. Look, Grace Community Church, you've got to give an account. You've got to answer for this at the very least. He just had a parole hearing here in the last couple of days. At the end of this video, I'll tell you how that went. In the middle of this, David Gray seemingly takes up the position of being a minister and a missionary in jail. And we have allegedly letters of him sending people, I guess, to fundraise support with a quote from John MacArthur in these letters. Now, now let me stop right here. These letters, these are the ones we cannot get confirmation about. There, It appears to be letters that are sent out by David Gray, basically saying, you know, support my prison ministry. And there's supposedly a quote on the letter from John MacArthur talking about how wonderful David Gray is. Now, these have not been confirmed. Let me make it very clear. These letters, other letters that were sent by the church, those are confirmed to be from Grace Community Church, where they're going after Eileen Gray and basically, you know, telling her what's going to happen to her. Those have been confirmed, but this has not been confirmed. I want to make that very, very, very clear. These letters are not, but they are working on getting confirmation. If they do get confirmation that these letters are legitimate, then the church, even after his arrest, they continue to see the woman as bad and he was good, even after being found guilty in a court of law. We don't know if they're real or not, but the letter says, Dear David, your steadfast faithfulness in the midst of such a difficult trial is truly um, a monument to the grace of God in your life. To hear of your steadfast faithfulness to the truth of Scripture in the face of such prevalent error. For now, however, you are our missionary to Kokoran State Prison. And we pray that the Lord will give your tremendous strength, overwhelming grace, and great patience to fulfill your mission. This is the narrative that David Gray has advanced, is that he is a missionary in the jail. He has been falsely accused by, you know, his wife, who clearly can't be, be believed. The pastor, Bontanya, had visited David in jail and had talked to other prisoners. And he's like, he's a model. He's, he's just a model jail inmate. He's, he's wonderful. He's loving. Other people tell about how great he is. And so his, he started actually sending out newsletters, uh, from my understanding. I'm, I'm working on trying to verify those. Those will be in the follow-up piece. But that's what you have is a... Now, please note, there's going to be a follow-up story to this. So this isn't going away. 
There's going to be a follow-up story. So they can deny, they can hide, they can be silent, but at some point, someone's going to have to give an answer. My, my thing is, is as soon as he was found guilty, you should at least stop and go, whoa, wait a minute, we ex- excommunicated the woman and she was found guilty. Unless you've got, I mean, if they, if Grace Community Church has overwhelming evidence that he's innocent, did they present it in the, in the trial? Why are they not doing a documentary showing, I mean, they have access, I mean, they've got a a, a worldwide ministry. Why don't they release a documentary? They've got millions of people who who know their ministry. Hey, David Gray is innocent. David Gray is innocent. Here's the overwhelming evidence. We're going to do everything we can to get a retrial. We're going to get his trial thrown. But no, I haven't seen them provide any evidence that he's innocent. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to mention it. They don't want to respond to it. They don't want to do anything other than attack, 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 attack anyone who brings it up. So immediately, as soon as the uh, he went to jail, they should have just thought, whoa, okay, we've, we've, we've got to lift the church discipline. She may never come back to the church, but she's no longer under church discipline. No one in this church should treat her as an unbeliever. And we, we apologize because there's a high probability that we got this wrong. Or there's at least a good chance we got this wrong. That's the, the minimum you should do. Newsletter where he has a quote from John MacArthur. Can we trust that quote? Um, it seems consistent with the way that Grace Community Church has responded. And there'll be more in the upcoming article about even how Grace uh, raised money to, um, to get him out for bail, to pay for his defense, to, you know, some of these things. We know right now California's now, if the church raised money or gave money for his bail and for his defense, that's insanity. No money to the abused wife. No money for help for the abused child. Like, this is, this is the opposite of justice. This is the opposite of, comp- I mean, this is, this is crazy. Now, listen, this is very important. I want to make sure I stress this. If David Gray, if even if he was found guilty of everything that, I mean, he was found guilty. Even if he is guilty of everything that he's been accused of, the church should not forget him either. They should continue to try to minister to him, call him to repentance, seek to, 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 you know, make sure he stays in jail, obviously to pay for his crimes, but continue to minister to him and show mercy and compassion even to the greatest sinner. So the church shouldn't abandon him either, but you can't abandon the woman who was the abused and the victim and the children who were the victim or child who was the victim. It's like, this seems to like, this seems to go against everything the Bible would tell us to do and how to act. releasing all sorts of all sorts of criminals from the jails right i mean they're trying to empty out the jails as much as they can and so if he can portray himself as a victim if he can portray himself as a good guy a model citizen um he'll come out and this is the scary part will he come out and be able to get a ministry position will people believe him and this is but this is what we've seen it's what's happened in in the southern baptist convention right we've seen this where pastors go from one place to another place to another, and they just keep abusing. And so that is the fear, is that that might happen. David Gray is just one example of situations like this happening in the church where abuse 
is relegated against women and sometimes children and women aren't believed, victims aren't believed, and people continue to take this staunch role of you're not allowed to divorce your husband, separate from your husband, only in the case of abandonment and adultery. And so is that really the expectation? Is the expectation for women to stay in cycles of violence, to see their children abused, to experience abuse, and to what, suffer for Jesus? Is that what the scriptures teach? It seems like the elders at Grace Community Church and John MacArthur took a very literal stance against the idea of divorce in a situation like this. It begs the question, are Christian women required to stay in such Now, I'm, I, you can go listen to his discussion about that. I think that that derails us from the, the, the what happened. Because now everyone will start arguing about their view on divorce. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture. Here's the thing. Whatever you believe about divorce, you would have to say at the very least, you are allowed to separate if you're being abused, file a restraining order, and not go back until there is some assurance of safety, accountability, people checking on you, and that that nothing can go, even if you don't believe that divorce is allowed, they should be able to separate for their protection. Everyone should be able to agree on that. If we get into the argument about divorce, it will go, I mean, that, that will sidetrack from the horrible things that took place. She was excommunicated. She was publicly shamed. He's treated as the victim, even though she was the abused and a child was sexually abused and he was found guilty of it. That is what is so absolutely insane about this story. And it cannot just be ignored. Grace Community Church has to, they've got to give answers. Now, some people are immediately saying people should be fired. They're disqualified. Everybody wants to start throwing out all of their pronouncements of judgment. I'm just saying this is messed up. There are enough facts. Someone's got to give an answer because this is not acceptable and this is wrong. And there has been too much. There's been too many stories of children abused in churches, women abused in churches, and the cover up, the, the fix is in. The cover up is on and the abusers are not held accountable. That's not acceptable. Now, there's far more I could say. But I want you to go listen to the rest for yourself. I want you to go do that. You can, uh, again, uh, let me uh, pull up the YouTube channel. I want you to go listen to the rest for yourself because I want them to get, uh, you know, their channel to be seen. Um, their uh, channel, again, is, I'm going to turn the volume down here, is um, Ruslan, R-U-S-L-A-N-K-D, Ruslan K-D, Um John MacArthur's church discipline of mother who protected her ch- her kids. They have a timeline of events. They have the full article. There's over 1,000 comments currently under the video, and uh, it's crazy. It's it's I mean, you can go you can go look at it for yourself and go to the Roy's report. Just type in Julie Roy's R O Y S. Go to her website. She's the reporter who broke this. The MacArthur Grace Community Church and everyone associated who are supporting MacArthur and them on this story. They hate Julie Roy's. It appears they they have accused her of everything under the sun. Um, all I care about is what is the truth. And simply attacking Julie Roy's that really is not a defense. Let me make it very clear. Attacking Julie Roy's is not a defense. A defense would be no. Here's actually what happened. Here, we have recordings. Here, we have notes. Here, we have testimony. Like, providing a defense of what you have done. But no, it's just ad hominem attack upon 
someone else. That, that's not the way to do so, or just argue that it was a long time ago. No, church discipline, <laughs> that's a permanent thing until it is lifted by the church who did the discipline. Especially if we believe that well, Christ is present and acknowledges that church discipline. Now, we can get into Christ acknowledges a discipline that's done horribly wrong and an unjust manner. That gets into a whole discussion about that. The bottom line is they, they owe her an apology at the very least. And put it this way, at the very least, the church discipline should be removed. And do they still support the husband as if he's innocent? What, what information do they have that he's innocent? I mean, clearly something was not right in the marriage. Clearly something was wrong. And clearly this situation was handled at the very minimum in a very questionable, questionable, questionable way. And at the very worst, in an ungodly, unbiblical, unjust, horrific, evil way where the abuser and, and the, the abused is treated as the criminals and the abuser is treated as the victim. That is messed up. There you go. There, there's the latest. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to continue to follow the story. I, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful with what I say. I try not to make any pronouncements of judgment. I can, I know what the facts are, at least. I know she was excommunicated and I know he's in prison. Those, that's it. There's no way to get around those two facts. There's video evidence of her being excommunicated and there seems to be video evidence of this happening two times. And we know he's in prison. Those are facts. Those are facts. Those facts enough demand some answers and some apologies, and at least the removal of church discipline. And, and again, and I'm not here to argue against any, I'm not arguing for any view on divorce. I'm not. I'm saying that if a woman's being abused, she can separate. She can get out of that. And the church should do everything they can to protect her. Yes, you want reconciliation, but you don't want reconciliation placing someone in danger of physical or sexual abuse. And if it was said in the counseling session that you need to submit to the abuse of your husband to show your kids what it is to suffer for Jesus, that is, if that is true, that to me is criminal. That is, that is insane. That is horrible. Hope, let's hope that actually did not happen. But if there's audio recordings of this and it comes out, I mean, I, I bet you they're going to check and verify the legality of releasing the audio recordings. And if it's legal to release the audio recordings, it's going to be... That's going to be horrible. It's just the whole thing is horrible. Whole thing is horrible. Pray for everyone involved. Pray for everyone. Pray for Eileen. Pray for, I don't know how old her kids are now. Pray for every, pray for Grace Community. Pray for everyone that there's repentance, there's confession, there's acknowledgement, there is forgiveness. There, there, I mean, let's pray that this somehow works out in a way that God is glorified, not your team wins, or we shouldn't be rooting for our team to win. We should be rooting that people's lives can, can be, there can be healing and restoration and forgiveness and, and people can, and, and, and God can be glorified in it. All right. I'll stop right there. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great evening. I wish I could have had something far better to talk about this evening, but I feel that this needed to be discussed right now. So email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.